At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography Roll Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with toy photographer Mitchell Wu. Mitchell started taking photographs of toys in his 50s. Before that, he had all kinds of different jobs. And today, he has a very successful career as a toy photographer. We talk about his beginnings in toy photography, what his life was like before specializing in this genre, his practical effects, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, Mitchell. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Thank you, Taya. Hi, my name is Mitchell Wu, and I'm the founder of Mitchell Wu Toy Photography. I'm based in Los Angeles, um, and my clients tend to be most of the larger and some smaller toy companies, as well as quite a few of the entertainment studios such as Marvel, Disney, Sony Pictures, and Warner Brothers. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. You have an incredible portfolio. My colleague recommended your work to me, and I absolutely enjoyed looking through your photographs. It's an absolute joy to look at them. And I love that you have such an interesting background as a creator as well. You didn't immediately decide to become a toy photographer. You went through many changes from working as a product designer and developer to specializing in wedding photography, and then eventually diving into toy photography. How has your diverse background affected your creativity as a photographer? Um, it's really pretty much been everything. All of the experiences that I've had in the past has really just led up to what I'm doing now. And it really started with um, getting a degree in illustration back in art school back in the 80s. And I'm kind of dating myself, but it, my career goes back a long ways and I took so many different paths. Um, I never intended to be a product designer, product developer. I always intended to be a traditional illustrator and illustrate movie posters, book covers, um, magazine covers, editorial illustrations. Um, and one of the things I learned through this whole experience is that you really need to kind of be aware of the decisions you make, especially when you're young, because when you're really young, at least for me, I tended not to think so much about what this decision would do and where it would lead me. And then, you know, five, 10 years later, you see that you're so far off your path and you can pinpoint really the moment that um, you diverted off that original path. And not to say that my path was good or bad, or I definitely don't regret it because it's led again to where I am today. But um, it's interesting to see how far off my path I had gotten. And it's only within the past seven years when I really um, got into toy photography that I feel like I'm firmly back on the original path that I thought I'd be on. It's really incredible that you've been through so much as a creator. And as you said, it's very important to focus on, you know, or to be able to visualize what your life will be like if you make a certain decision, especially if it's a big life decision. I'm curious to know, how did you go from being a product designer and then to a wedding photographer? 
So in the early 2000s, I had um, two very uh, life-shaping, life-changing things happen to me. My older brother, um, Scott, he passed away suddenly, and that was hugely impactful to me. Um, you know, everyone always says that, you know, life is short. This was, I mean, he was just 49 years old at the time, and this was like, this was that statement screaming at me in the face, directly into my ears. And uh, it was, it was, it really impacted me. And then the second thing that happened almost simultaneously was I was in um, another product design, product development job, and it was definitely the highest paying job I'd ever had in my career at that point. And it was also the worst job that I ever had. And those, and that really taught me that you just cannot, and this is what it was for me at that point, you just can't chase the money. You know, that can't be the thing that focuses you and drives you. You really have to find something that, I mean, this probably sounds cliche, but you have to find something that you love and that you're passionate about. And then that should be the thing that drives you. And if you're focused, that can lead to, you know, everything down the road. But yeah, it was those two things. The worst job that I've ever had in my life and the loss of my brother, it made me reevaluate what I was doing with my career and how far I'd gotten off my path to the point of doing something that I hated. Um, and then I realized that I need to get back to something where I had a lot of creativity in my life. And, you know, I'd always been interested in photography. It wasn't my, it wasn't my, what I went to school for. It wasn't my expertise, but it was something that I loved. And I, I knew that I could tell stories through it and create some amazing images. So that was um, really what instigated my jump into photography. And it wasn't just wedding photography, because I started with, what a lot of people probably would start when they don't know what they're doing. It was like lifestyle. And eventually I started doing headshots because I'm in Los Angeles um, onto corporate headshots, corporate photography events. And eventually that led to wedding photography. Very interesting. Yeah. Usually if there's a big life change happening, then you tend to reevaluate re your life values and you think more about what you want to have in the future the kind of life you want to lead so i can understand why you decided to make a few changes in your life after those two events and then so you got into wedding photography you specialized in that for quite a few years along with all the other things and eventually you decided that it was consuming too much of your time and from then you decided to quit that and then you pursued toy photography what was that change like and what prompted that change yeah, it wasn't that I was spending too much time on wedding photography. It was that I was um, spending too many weekends on it because, as you know, weddings, probably 90% of them or more occur on the weekends. And I, at that point in 2015, my daughter was entering high school and she was a competitive swimmer, swim meets on the weekends. I was missing so much. And, you know, at that point entering high school, I knew that um, I only had a very limited amount of years left that I'd have her with me in the house. And so, you know, it just wasn't acceptable to me that weddings were, was going to keep me from um, being with my kid during these super important years. And I had no problem like leaving it when I made that realization. Um, one of the things that I consider myself is a restless creative. My wife knows this all too well um, because I had gone through so many product design and product development jobs. I was at Disney for six years and I left Disney because I was getting restless working with the same um, characters and the same IP, the same movies. Um, of course, looking back, I still consider those six years by far the best um, quote unquote job I've ever had. But yeah, so in 2015, I knew that I had to make a change and I didn't know what I was going to do. But right at almost at the same time, my nephew, who was also just kind of playing around with toy photography. He introduced it to me. He had me go up to San Francisco, um, bring my camera gear, and just for fun, we went to a park and, and photographed some toys. And it was, I mean, I, I, I tell the story a lot, but it was like with that first click, literally that first click of the shutter, shooting a stormtrooper that I borrowed from my nephew because I didn't have any toys. It was that first click of the shutter when I realized that there was definitely something amazing about toy photography and that there was absolutely, I felt strongly, there was absolutely a career to be made in it. Um, I didn't know if anybody 
that was doing that as a career at the time. And I still actually don't on a freelance basis. I don't, I really can't name anybody that's doing 100% full-time toy photography on a freelance basis. But yeah, so I made that realization and I just, I just dove in. That's fascinating. So you didn't have anyone as a reference in toy photography, and yet you still felt that there was potential in toy photography for it to be a career for you. I think that's very unique, and it just shows to me that it was meant to be for you in toy photography. Absolutely. Um, again, I, like I said earlier, I feel like doing what I'm doing now, which does include magazine covers, editorial images created for editorial, I feel like I really have gotten very close to exactly what my vision was when I graduated from art school on what my career would be. And it's just basically creating images um, for clients and not being held back creatively. It's been, it's been really cool. Yeah, I've seen a lot of behind the scenes of your work, as I mentioned earlier, and I've also seen some of your concept sketches for your work uh, for, commercial, for commercial companies. And I have just been blown away by your talent. You're very good at drawing, as you said, you're you initially wanted to become an illustrator, and it's amazing that you were able to use all of these skills and all of these passions in toy photography. And I think it's very uplifting for people who are going through a lot of changes in their lives because, I mean, so many photographers, they might not initially know who they should be or what kind of genre they should pursue. So it's always nice to hear from somebody who's been through so many changes uh, before finding something that really works for them. Yeah, thank you. You know, my dad, my dad, you know, we were having a cocktail in his backyard a few months ago, and he, he just flat out asked me so because he knows he knew that my career was not about illustration. And he asked me, um, hey, do you think, you know, going to art school was helpful at all to what you're doing? Or do you think it was kind of a waste of time? And I always talk about this to my wife and to my kid. It's like that, you know, the education that I received um, as I was pursuing illustration was really critical to what I'm doing now because all of the fundamentals that I, and the skills that I learned during those four years completely apply to what I'm doing. I mean, a lot of it had to do with composition and how to use light and shadow storytelling. And I do those things and more um, when creating any kind of image through toy photography. So yes, dad, <laughs> it totally, um, benefit what I do now, and I probably wouldn't be doing what I do now if I hadn't gone to art school. And even before toy photography, maybe you would have given your dad a different answer, right? Maybe you would have said that art school was a waste of time, but it took a few years, a long time for you to actually get to a point where you can confidently say what you just said, that art school was crucial to the kind of work that you're doing now. So it just shows to me personally, and hopefully to the listeners as well, that whatever you're going through, if it feels useless at the moment and if you feel like you're not really going anywhere in life it might come in handy in the future you never know you just have to try different things 100 percent, that is absolutely true i think it's really important um you know one of the things that i would totally recommend and i'm not sure if this is easy or hard but you know you should have a people should have a very good radar for um, opportunities because for example if you know my nephew i went to shoot with my nephew and you know, I just ended up saying, oh, that was fun. Now, what am I going to do? I'm not going to shoot weddings anymore. Then, you know, that would have been, in my opinion, disastrous. But it's somehow being able to identify whatever opportunity is there that maybe is not necessarily um, obvious to someone else. I think that can be crucial to opening up doors and pursuing a different career if that's what you're after. I've, like I said, I've always been a risk taker. Um, I strongly advocate um, taking risks. If a lot of your viewers are younger, then they often are in the best position to take risks because they don't have, you know, they don't have the financial obligations of someone 10, 20, 30 years older than they than they are. So risk taking, especially if they're calculated risks, but honestly, a lot of my risks have been uncalculated and for the most part, they led me to something amazing or else if they didn't, I've learned something incredible from them. So yeah, it's important to have that radar out there looking for what's next. That's great advice. And I really like your positive attitude. Even if something doesn't work out and you take a risk and it turns out to be a mistake, then you still learn something from it. So yeah, I think it's also important to have that kind of attitude when you're taking risks. 
Yeah, Taya, I started um, toy photography in my 50s. So if I ever see or hear somebody like they're in their 30s, it's like, oh, my God, I'm in a dead end job and this is going to be the rest of my life. It's like, no, this is not doesn't have to be the rest of your life. You have so many options. You, you feel like this crappy job is your world and there's no way to escape that because that's your world. But in reality, if you got fired or if you had the courage to actually leave that job, it would open up so many more opportunities for you and um, it would affect you. I'm pretty certain that it would be a huge positive effect on your life because it would force you to look at different opportunities or maybe to pursue that one thing that you'd always wanted to pursue, but were always afraid to because you were locked into this um, income security that you had. But, you know, in my opinion, income security is highly overrated because that's the thing that's going to lock you into what you're doing and it's not going to let you have the courage to try something else. I completely agree with you. So you started toy photography in your 50s? I did. That's I did. Amazing. Yeah. So so it's like I'm always like and for once I told you I was a restless creative. I was always jumping from job to job because I got bored with what I was doing. I don't think I'm going to be doing anything else other than toy photography because I, I mean, I kind of obviously I wish I'd found it sooner, but I'm just actually, frankly, grateful that I found it at all because it's led to having the most creative career that I've had um, in my entire career. And it's opened up so many doors of opportunity to me that I could never have imagined um, before I started toy photography. Right. Incredible. And you probably have a very impressive toy collection right now. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I was not um, into toys. Like, there's a huge community of toy photographers out there, and like most of them started the same way. They were toy collectors and toy enthusiasts. They, they, you know, they had their cell phones and they loved sharing photos of their collection with other toy collectors enthusiasts. Then at some point, they saw on probably on Instagram somebody did something creative with their toy in an image and that really opened their eyes as to what was possible with the toys that they already owned. For me, you know, I was a photographer. I had all the, most of the camera gear that I needed. Um, but literally I had no toys. I had a few toys from when I was a kid that my mom saved and I have them with me now, but nothing that, that I really would go out there and shoot. So whereas most people have the toys and not the gear, I was exactly the opposite. I had all the gear, but none of the toys. And now of course I do have, a growing unmanageable amount of toys from all the client work that I do. Um, you know, I do buy some toys for myself just because there are certain toys that I do love now, especially now that I'm familiar with all of the toys that are out there and being created and they're amazing. Um, but most of my toy collection is from the client work that I've done and continue to do. That's really impressive. It's so cool that you have uh, this unconventional, you have this unconventional approach to toy photography. As you said, so many others started it because they had their toy collections and you started it because of your nephew. And then you had to basically start a toy collection of your own. So correct. Yeah. Interesting. Well, speaking of toy photography, it's very um, interesting to me that you put a lot of emotions into your work. It's amazing how you were able to bring these toys to life. And oftentimes you give your own twist to the images. So they usually surprise people. There was one post that went viral on your Instagram. I think it's um, some of the characters from Toy Story and you recreated a scene from Stranger Things. Yes, and yes, I that was so fun. So much. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, are you were you familiar with that scene? Did you watch it? Yes, yes, I recently finished watching the fourth season. Yes. Yeah, you know, that fourth season, not to talk too much about that show, but it was, for me, it was the best season because it was, um, the storyline was fantastic. I mean, they're all good storylines in every season, but this had a very dark feel to it, this episode, I mean, the season. And when I saw that one um, scene that I created that image from um, where Max is floating into the sky, it was, it was like, it was mind blowing. The whole scene that led up to where she was floating was just blew my mind. And I saw that. And then it didn't, I didn't think about recreating that image or that scene until maybe two or three months later. And I was shocked that no one had actually done that as in toy photography, because usually toy photographers are always all over kind of things like that. Um, but nobody had done it. So I set it up, I shot it and I knew I had a feeling that it would do fairly well, you know, maybe be my best performing image as far as um, on Instagram. 
Um, and it, it was, it was, but it wasn't crazy. It literally took like seven days for it to blow up, which is, it was a, it was very interesting to watch because I don't have very many viral images. In fact, that was the first huge one. It was very interesting to see kind of the, um, the curve of how things go on a viral image. Uh, it was, it was quite interesting. And for two weeks, it just kept getting more and more views and more and more likes and a lot of comments. Um, so very interesting, very interesting. Yeah, and something that I like about you, I read a lot of your interviews, uh, and, and many of them you have mentioned that you do the work for yourself. So it doesn't matter what people say, even though you appreciate their feedback, you're always going to do it for yourself uh, when it's your personal work, of course. And I think that's nice, especially if something does go viral, you don't feel like the pressure to take similar photographs or uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. You're totally right. Uh, I mean, if you go through my my website portfolio or Instagram, I think you're gonna you'll you'll quickly see that this guy, me, um, he does a lot of or I do a lot of like um, I use a lot of toys and properties that most toy photographers don't. Like if you generally look at other toy photographers, you see you see a lot of Marvel, you see a lot of Star Wars, um, especially and. You know, it's funny because when I first started photographing toys in 2015, the first toy I photographed, as I said, was a stormtrooper from that my nephew borrowed. And right after that, I went and bought a a bunch of more Star Wars action figures, R2D2, C3PO, because there was a movie coming out soon, the first one that had been out from Star Wars in quite a while. And everybody was shooting Star Wars. So I jumped on that bandwagon. And I was shooting these toys and you know, I, I didn't have really have anything to gauge it against or compare it against, but I wasn't feeling completely engaged with what I was doing. Um, and I later realized it was because, like, I'm not like I'm a fan. I've seen most of the, the movies, the Star Wars movies and the shows on TV. I'm a fan, but I'm not like I'm not super passionate about Star Wars. Like, I can't tell you all the storylines from the movies. I can't name all these obscure characters that a lot of the, the larger fans can do. And it was because of that that I realized that's why I wasn't feeling like really engaged or excited with that. Um, now, when I started to think about it, the, the properties that I really love are like cartoons or movies that I grew up with um, or more likely cartoons, movies and stories that my daughter grew up with. And I was right there watching the Toy Story with her or Monsters, Inc. or reading where the wild things are to her like once or twice a week. And when I started, when I realized that and I started um, getting or buying toys based around those memories and that nostalgia, that's when toy photography really, um, really became important to me where I could engage with it and create these different stories and really feel like I was doing something that I truly loved. So like property and nostalgia um, for myself or my kid, those things really drive a lot of what I do. I love that. And I think that's something a lot of photographers can relate to, regardless of the genre that they specialize in. I can definitely relate to that myself. No matter what I'm photographing, I need to have some sort of connection to it. If I just take photos of something because it's trending right now, then I, if I don't feel a connection to it, I have a hard time and I feel very pressured and stressed. And I don't think that's what photography should be about. For sure. And it, I mean, you could still create an amazing image, but you know, there's that, there might be just a little bit missing from it that only you would know that only you would recognize, but yeah, it, it will show in the final image. Exactly. So yes, as I said, you put a lot of emotions uh, in your work and it's very clear based on the movements, based on the practical effects that you use. What advice would you give to photographers who want to create strong emotions in their work, especially if their subjects aren't people? Yeah, I mean, the best, like, I feel like, you know, if you're working with um, models or if you're working with toys, um, it's a little, probably a little more obvious on how to create stories. Like for toy photography, um, storytelling, it's like, it comes really natural to me because, you know, you, a lot of times the characters already have stories and, or they always do. You know, any toy that has a character that is character based will have a story behind it because it's from a character that was from a movie or from a cartoon on TV or from a book or something. Um, I often like to actually go away from those stories. And one of the ways that I create um, 
my images is by looking at ways to to show a character that everybody's familiar with and show them in a different way. So with toys, I mean, I think we're I'm an advantage for telling telling stories. But really, what it comes down to is what I said: it's storytelling. So if there's a way that a photographer is able to create a story in their image with whatever they're shooting, and I know that's like a lot of times easier said than done. Um, but that is the way I would tell a story through my images. And if it's impossible to tell a story through your image, um, then what I would do, and what I often do as well, is to tell a story through, um, almost through a behind the scenes that you might do, to tell the story of how, of your inspiration for the image, or to tell the story of the challenges you went through to create this image. Um, a lot of times I'll do behind the scenes, and honestly, I feel like, uh, viewers almost enjoy like my behind the scenes more than the actual image itself. It's a, it's almost like, you know, a peek behind the curtain to see how the quote unquote magic is created. Like people always ask me, Oh, how did you create that? You know, it's like, do you really want to know? Because if I tell you, it's going to like, the magic is pretty much gone from that image, but they always want to know. And I'm always happy to tell them. But so I think one of the good ways to tell a story and create interest in your image is through the experience you went through to create that image. Yeah, that's really great. And for me, the magic is even more intense, at least when it comes to your work, when I see the behind the scenes videos. Thank you. I just, the first time I saw a behind the scenes photo of yours was, uh, I think you were throwing dirt or <laughs> was it yes. milk that you were spilling? Something like that. I'm, I've done all of that, but it's funny because, you know, as a kid, I was always, you know, we didn't have, um, we didn't have the phones. We didn't have video games or anything when I was growing up. We were always outside playing in the dirt. So I feel like I threw so much dirt as a kid that it's finally paying off as an adult. <laughs> professional dirt thrower. Exactly. I'm a professional dirt thrower and professional um, firework blower upper and professional liquid splasher. Uh, a man of many talents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but your behind-the-scenes videos, uh, they have these practical effects as we just mentioned so throwing dirt in these things uh, a lot of people are like you know i thought you photoshopped this in or i thought that you use something more elaborate but for you oftentimes it's very practical and very logical which of your practical effects you enjoy using the most yeah you know first of all it's like i agree so many people are amazing digital artists and they can recreate almost everything that i do um perfectly. I feel like I've seen people digitally create fire and splashes and smoke. And it, to me, I can't tell the difference. I don't have those skills. And quite honestly, I just have way more fun um, throwing dirt and lighting off explosives and creating fire and splashing liquids. I have way more fun doing that um, in real life than I would sitting in front of a computer. So even if I did have those skills, I'd probably opt to do it the way that I do it. My favorite practical effect, although I love them all, um, is probably liquid splashes just because they're the most challenging. They're the the hardest one to control. I mean, you, I've done it enough now where I, I know how to, you know, of course, get a certain direction or overall feel for a splash. Like if I want to kind of mimic a wave in the ocean i know how to do that if i want to mimic waves splashing up on rocks i can know how to do that but it's still you know it's still trial and error because you never fully can control what water or milk or anything's going to do and that often means a lot of different takes a lot of shots um sometimes you'll get it on the first one but you know you always feel like i better get some backups so i could do like the shot of um, Duke Kaboom and his motorcycle splashing into the, the glass of milk um, and splashing it on, he's not splashing it on Forky, he's actually helping Forky get milk on his cookie, but you could read it whatever way you want. But a shot like that, that I could do easily 20 or more takes on that. And when it's set up indoors on a table like that shot was, that can be really time consuming because you need to clean it up, you need to reset and you need to do it again. So um, there's definitely different difficulty levels to those kind of shots. If it's outside and I'm just splashing water in what's supposed to look like a pond or a lake, then those are much quicker. But yep, I, I think liquid splashes would be my favorite.
photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Our 365 Days of Photography course is an amazing opportunity for you to grow as a photographer. My teammate Kevin LJ has produced this course in a step-by-step -step format which is very easy to follow. The course is presented in bite-sized lessons, each with a practical challenge. You'll learn and practice a new aspect of photography every single day. Each lesson is around five minutes long, and you can spend as much time on the challenges as you like. There's also a friendly forum where you can share the photos you take and get constructive feedback from others in the course. Kevin's professional photography experience is extensive. He covers not only photography essentials, but also many genres of photography throughout the course. You will learn far more about photography than simply how to use your camera. For our listeners, we're offering a very special discounted price of $199. The final price will soon be $365, so make sure to take advantage of this great deal today. I can imagine, yeah, and I can imagine how difficult it is, especially if you are working indoors. How do you manage that when it comes to your camera equipment? How do you avoid uh, spilling milk on it? Yeah, great question. And how do I avoid like blowing it up with explosives or getting dirt and debris on it when I'm throwing it around? Um, I haven't bought a whole lot of new equipment. Well, by now I've changed my camera, but like I have all of my original lenses and I really didn't want to have to go and buy more equipment, especially lenses, just because I was switching genres of photography. I had quite a few lenses from my previous like wedding photography and product photography. The one that I use the most is the, um, Canon 100 millimeter. I think it's F2 L and that lets me put my camera back a pretty safe distance from the set where I'll be again, splashing water or milk or blowing stuff up. And that has pretty much kept the, the lenses and the, and the camera pretty safe. Yeah, that sounds great. Very practical. And yeah, it's good to have uh, lenses like that for toy photography because then they separate the subject from the background and it absolutely that creates that nice separation with the nice background blur. And as for shooting remotely, do you use a remote or how do you plan everything out as you're throwing dirt and doing everything? How do you take photos at the same time? Yeah, exactly. I'm a one person show. So I do have a wireless remote that is critical. And I used it from the very beginning because it's, I knew I had to do that just being one person. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny with the current camera I have, which is the Canon R6, uh, it's a mirrorless. I actually, bought the Canon wireless remote thinking that it would do exactly what I wanted it to do, but it wouldn't shoot at high speed, um, which I, I definitely need that to capture as many, um, to capture the entire process of whatever practical effect I'm creating, just so I have options on which moment to choose. It was, it wouldn't do it. And, um, it was really frustrating. I contacted somebody, I talked to somebody at Canon. They said, yeah, you can't do it. There's a way to, to do it, but it's not in the setting. I forget what, what it was, but there was no way that I could do it for what I needed it to do. And it was so important to me that I was ready to basically return that camera. Um, but then I found it like a really inexpensive, um, wireless remote on Amazon that ended up working perfectly. So I bought a few of those just because you never know when they're going to you know, go off, they won't sell them anymore. And yeah, it works perfectly. So yep, wireless remote, um, which lets me throw the dirt or splash the whatever or light fireworks simultaneously taking the photos. Amazing. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of fun. Blowing off fireworks is always cool because as a kid, I mean, 
I mean, kids generally love fireworks. And so it's hard to find fireworks in California because it's so dry here and everybody's worried about things burning down and rightly so. But just before the 4th of July, you can go out and you can stock up on stuff, not firecrackers, not a lot of things because they're illegal. But I use these things called crackling balls and they come under other names too, but you can get those um, legally at fireworks stands before the 4th of July. So I just stock up and that's primarily what I use. Those and sparklers are the two main things that I use. That's fascinating. And as you're taking photographs, do you have an app where you can preview your images as you take them or do you just go with the flow and take risks? Um, I go with the flow and take risks. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the camera after I do a set of photos and I'll check the, you know, I'll see what I got. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be cool if I was tethered and actually could see what I was doing on a laptop or something. I just, I haven't done that. I'm, I'm sure that may be in my future, but again, it's something to, it's just one more level of complication for me out if I'm working outside or in the field. So I tend to not to. I understand. Well, that makes your work even more impressive because then you just have to, as we said earlier, go with the flow and you have to just uh, take risks and go back and forth. It's good exercise as well. I think going back and forth, checking the photos and I guess <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> in another interview of yours, you uh, mentioned that being careful on social media is important and uh, people in companies, they're always watching and it sounds pretty creepy, but it's important to keep that in mind, especially if you want to make a career out of photography and the things that you say and do online, they can determine whether you get offers or not from people. Um, what are some general social media rules that photographers should keep in mind? Um, yeah, I mean, I actually have like real world example of that happening because I was up for a, okay, so I'm on a documentary in, on Disney Plus. It's called Marvel's 616. And I was speaking to the casting agent and I asked if I was the only toy photographer that they were looking at for this or had hired or was were considering for this role. And the individual told me that there was actually another person um, across the country that they were also considering. But when they were going through their vetting process, one of the things that they looked at was social media. And that's where that's where he was taken out of the mix. I, and I don't know who it was. I don't know uh, what what the problem was that they saw on social media. I just know that you know, for a company like Disney and Marvel, they're very sensitive to things like that. And um, for me, it's toy photography. So, and I know, I knew from day one that I wanted to do this as a profession. So I've always, I mean, I don't have to go out of my way to to keep it PG or even G rated. It's just, that's just how I am. Um, and I have a great respect for the characters that I'm working with and the properties. So I would never do anything to intentionally like disrespect or disparage or put show them in a bad light. Um, but for in general, I would, you know, if if you have no intentions of making a career out of what you're doing photography wise and it's just a hobby, then I say, you know, obviously do what you want. It's free speech and do it, do what makes you happy and and what's fun for you. Um, but if you have any desire or thought that you would like to make it a career or you're currently making it a career, then for sure. I mean, it's really basic, right? It's like, watch the language, the tone that you use when you're writing on social media. Um, and obviously, we live in very sensitive times where people are watching you and what you say. And I'm even watching myself how I say this right now, because I'm like, I know how it can be taken, but you have to be careful on, on what you put out there. Because if it's whatever it is, if it's your language or how you're speaking about politics or religion or anything like that, anything that could be controversial and you may not even intend it to be that way, but those things um, will definitely capture the eyes of a company that you may want to work with. And trust me, that company that you're wanting to work with is most likely, they probably have an Instagram account. And, you know, I've heard more than one art director say that um, Instagram is the, is literally like the first, um, touch point that they'll have with photographers that they're considering working with. And if they like, or see what, see what they see on social media, then they'll go ahead and probably look, look for your website, you know, and see what's going on there. But that social media page or Instagram specifically is going to be your main point of, um, contact in the beginning with this, you may not know it with this company that's considering you. So you have to be really careful. 
That's very interesting. Yeah, that's your reputation right there. You have to be really careful, as you said, especially if you want to make a career out of photography. Correct. I would love to know what camera equipment you, you use other than what you mentioned. So you have a 100 millimeter lens and uh, you said that you recently changed your camera equipment, right? Yeah, actually, I'm going to correct myself. It's not a 100 millimeter lens. I have the 135 mm -hmm. millimeter. And but most toy photographers do have the 100 millimeter macro. And that's probably what I would have, too, if I didn't have the 135. But I, I just didn't want to go and buy a 100 millimeter macro because I have the 135. And it lets me put that little bit of extra distance between me and the chaos that's happening on set. So, and I like that lens a lot. It's super sharp. Um, but yeah, I maybe two years ago now or less, I upgraded, at least in my opinion, upgraded from the Canon 5D Mark III um, to the Canon R6, which is mirrorless. Um, and there's a couple things that were game changing for me on those on the upgrade. One of them is that um okay there's a few actually one of them is obviously it's mirrorless and it has a screen a reticulating screen that you can pull out and so you don't have to look through the viewfinder so before when i was using my 5d3 if i wanted to shoot on the ground which a lot of times like my my sets are on the ground or in the dirt or in the grass i actually had to have to lay down to get those shots and sometimes in the most horrible contortions <laughs> and so it was literally in the summer i would be sweating just because you know i'd have to get up and down and although it was a good workout um it's hard on the neck it's hard on the back with the r6 i can kneel or i can be on a stool and just you know flip the screen up so that i can see it from that angle so that right there was a huge huge game changer the other thing that i found incredibly important was that the r6 is um the r6 viewfinder or screen is filled with focus points to choose from whereas the canon 5d3 primarily had them clustered towards the center and so there were huge areas that were blank that did not have an area to focus on so if you wanted to actually have your subject in the far corner for whatever reason um, it actually took a lot more time to get that in focus because you had to find a workaround so those two things right away. The other thing that was amazing about the R6 is that it has um, it has like um, like an internal stabilization mechanism that basically makes every lens that you put on it um, image stabilized, which my other camera didn't. So all of my lenses, I bought an adapter so that I could use all of my existing lenses that I had. All of them are sharper than they have ever been, which is incredible. So focus, ease of use, um, can highly recommend the R6. Not the highest, obviously the R5 has more megapixels, but for what I do, uh, I forget how many it has. It maybe has 24 megapixels, I forget, maybe 20. Um, it's more than enough for what I do. So I don't need the, the super megapixel count that's just gonna end up taking longer to process and more memory to store. So I'm really happy with the R6. Other than that, it's all the Canon lenses that I've that I've had before, it's primarily the 135 millimeter. I also, in tighter spaces, will use the 2470L 2.8, um, which is fantastic. If I'm traveling, I just wanna bring my camera and some toys. I, I usually bring the 35 millimeter, 35 millimeter um, 1.4 which is always fun to shoot with because I rarely shoot with it. And it gives me, it's fun to switch things up, you know, once in a while, just to make yourself see things in a different way. And that's what the 35 millimeter does for me. Um, I use Manfrotto tripods. And the one thing that I had to change when I went from wedding photography to toy photography was my lights because I first started toy photography trying to use my speed lights, um, but it was just too much. It was overpowering and, um, it took a long time to set up. It was just overkill. So I ended up going, experimenting with different um, LED lights, which were continuous lights. So I love that because, you know, you can, what you see is what you get. If there's too much shadow on one side, I can just adjust the light in real time and see how that's gonna affect that shadow. Um, so I use, right now I'm using these little LED lights called Lytra LEDs. Uh, Lytra, they're fantastic lights. Um, they're built to last, unfortunately, that company was sold to um, a bigger company. And so those those lights are no longer available, but there's so many lights available now, LEDs on Amazon or in the camera shops that um, it's just a matter of testing and finding what works for you. 
Great. Thank you so much for being so detailed about this, because I think it will help anyone who's interested in this kind of photography. And yeah, the lighting aspect of it, I haven't even thought about that. With toy photography, I guess you need a specific kind of lighting, but I guess you can also use natural light if it's available in abundance, right? For sure. And that's exactly how most people, including myself, started was just um, going outside and or getting by a window and just um, setting up your figures and again, telling a story. I really, you know, the thing that I tell people who are starting toy photography, asking for advice or tips, is like, you know, it's like, don't get carried away with like trying to do too much too soon. Like, I know all the effects are cool. You don't have to try and do those all the time. Really, I think the thing that people should focus on is, is storytelling because I would much rather see an image that is like not technically excellent, but that's telling a good story. I'd much rather see that than the opposite. Uh, I'd, I'd much rather see that than an image that is like flawlessly executed with all of the latest effects, but is really making me feel nothing. You know, I always equate that to movies. It's like the summer blockbuster. It's kind of a crapshoot, right? It's like you've seen the trailer. It looks amazing. It's got all the latest effects. It's got explosions. It's got like amazing things flying through the sky. It's It's got everything. And then a week later, you don't remember what you saw because it really had nothing much to say other than look at me. Whereas if you can get a story that a movie that has a story, whether it has all of these effects or not, that's the one that you're going to remember. That's the one that's going to impact you. Yeah, it's a very great point that you're making, and I completely agree with me with you. For me personally as well, if uh, I see a photograph, uh, it doesn't really matter to me what kind of equipment the photographer used. Oftentimes, I'm just drawn to the way that it makes me feel. That's the first thing I notice. How does this make me feel? Uh, very self-centered of me to say this, but it's just how it is. You just notice the way things. It is. <laughs> it is absolutely. I mean, people want to feel something when they look at like any kind of art or movie or whatever it is, a photograph, it's like, I don't know if they realize that, but honestly, it's like people want to be moved by something. They want a, a story told to them. And when I say, you know, tell a story through your photographs, you know, it's one image, right? So it's like, when I say story, I can mean an actual story or I can mean just make them feel something, you know, that's, that's really what is going to make people stop. Like on Instagram, how do you get them to stop scrolling or if it's in a magazine how do you get them to stop like flipping those pages because people are move, moving a mile a minute these days um for me i like to this is like what i try to do i like to try an image i create an image that like immediately is going to stop somebody from scrolling or flipping the page um but what happens after they stop like are you going to get them to stay there for a minute i really want to get people to come into the world that i created through this toy photograph and so the image itself has to be dynamic enough to stop them. But then what what does that image tell them or do that gets them to engage further with it? So that's always the goal for me to stop them from scrolling, to take a look at my image and then actually have them spend time coming inside the world that I created for them. Yeah, and that's very challenging, but the, you do that very well. And I think you're a great inspiration to many people, even those who don't specialize in toy photography. And when it comes to general photography, since you have so much experience and since you started photography in your 50s, you have a different view of photography and life, I think, than people who are from a different generation. Um, as you said, a lot of people nowadays, um, they might overthink, as you said, somebody uh, that, you know, um, they're in their 30s and they got fired recently. They feel like it's the end of the world. So younger generations, I think, have a very different viewpoint. Uh, when it comes to photography and life in general. So what do you wish that people in general in the photography community um, thought and felt more? So I'll just go off my own experience. As a wedding photographer, I was in a, I set myself in a price range that was the most competitive price range to be in for a wedding photographer. And so I would have like clients come over to my studio to meet with me, just to get to know me and see my work. And even though I knew that they loved the images that I showed them, I knew that as soon as they left um, my studio, that they were going to probably talk to two or three or more wedding photographers just to see if maybe they could get a pr better price. You know, maybe the images were not the main factor in, in my price range, but maybe the price range was. So I ended up feeling, especially looking back now, I feel like I was definitely a commodity 
um, I was doing nothing to separate myself from the other wedding photographers, the thousands of other wedding photographers that was like working in the same price range as me. Um, and although I did um, survive as a wedding photographer, I by no means would I say that I thrived as a wedding photographer. Cut to now, cut to when I became a toy photographer. I saw what happened. Um, I was, I like I said, I didn't know of anybody that was like making a career out of toy photography, especially as a freelancer, as an independent photographer. And so I was in this niche that I feel like I helped create. And not only was I in this niche, but I feel like at one point, um, I even may have owned that niche. And it's a niche, right? It's a really, like, it's a crazy small niche. Like most people would look at that and they would say, there's no way that I would, I would try to make a career out of doing that. Um, but the, but looking back, I can, obviously I've had a pretty good deal of success through toy photography and it's been exciting. And what's really interesting is to compare, um, the experience as a wedding photographer where I was a commodity to what I'm doing now as a toy photographer, where I consider myself an asset. And the differences are as a commodity, you have very little, um, negotiating strength in setting your rate. Uh, you almost have to be willing to drop your rate to get the to be booked, at least as a wedding photographer. But I'm sure it's the same way if you're some kind of lifestyle photographer and you haven't separated yourself. So being in a niche and being the person like the first person that many people will think to go to if they're looking for a toy photographer, it's a huge difference because you have you have so much say in how you run your business and how people and who you choose to work with. You have the strength to ask for more. You have the strength to say no. You have the strength to say yes. I mean, there's so much more that's in your control when you are working in a niche and you're successful at, at controlling what you do in that niche. I mean, it's like night and day. So whenever I talk to not just photographers, but when I talk to an artist who's struggling, it's like, okay, so what makes you different from the dozen other artists or illustrators or graphic designers or photographers that are like just in your town alone. What's the difference? Why are people, why are people going to go to you as opposed to somebody else? And if you can't even answer that question, then that's why you're struggling because you are a commodity. I mean, I've, I can say that easily because I used to be one. Um, but the, as soon as you start to find ways and it doesn't, you don't have to work in a niche, you can differentiate somehow, which is different than being a niche, differentiate through the service you provide or the way that you, even your rates can be a, a way of specializing. Um, but I would never specialize by going lower than everybody else. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, so there's ways to set yourself apart from somebody. If you can find that niche to work in, if you can differentiate, or if you do both of those things, then um, I think you're going to see amazing changes in what you're doing and amazing opportunities. A lot of people are afraid to, like, I've, I, I watched this, um, I listened to another a speaker, it was a podcast, and he, he summed it up perfectly. He says, you know, so many people are afraid to, to, like, go into a niche because they're afraid that, I mean, aside from being able to make money from it, they're just afraid that, you know, once they commit to this niche, that's all they're going to do for the rest of their career is just like this one thing. And it's boring, right? It could be really boring, but in reality, and this, again, this is what it, this one individual is saying, but in reality, you open this door and that's your niche. And when you open that door, you see maybe six more doors inside of that room that you just opened to. And each one of those doors leads to another different opportunity. And you know, it's crazy, but he, the way, and I was paraphrasing, but the way he said that is exactly what I've, what I've experienced. Like I was, you know, I'm focused on toy photography, but toy photography has opened up so many doors of opportunities to different things for me. I mean, they, they do revolve around toy photography still, obviously. And that's because that's where I'm focused, but so many different things that I've done, like the documentary on Disney plus I've, I've had chances to exhibit. I'm going to be exhibiting in a large, um, uh, what is it called? A science museum, um, in 2023, it's going to be a really large exhibit. I'm really excited about that. There's opportunities to speak. There's opportunities to do workshops. There's just so much to, 
to grow with and to engage and keep yourself um, passionate about. So long story short, and that was a long story, it's finding your niche, um, learning how to set yourself apart from the thousands and thousands of other photographers that are trying to do exactly what you're doing. Yeah, very great advice. I completely agree with you. I think it's very important to be real with yourself and to understand what your uniqueness is as a photographer. And if you don't know what it is, you need to find it. And I love what you said about all the doors that open up when you do find a niche that you really like. I wish that I, he I heard me when I was starting out as a photographer saying what I just said, because if I did, I would have done things differently. Like, okay, I was a wedding photographer, but I would have started looking at ways to like differentiate myself within wedding photography, whether that's um, maybe like specializing in cosplay wedding photography or, or, you know, there's always weddings where people bring their pets. I think there's ways to, to niche down or even differentiate within these categories that, that are super popular, like wedding photography. Of course, product photography, there's ways to specialize. It's just a matter of, of knowing that that is a key to, to really like growing your business and to get away from the frustration of like struggling, you know, it's, it's like, there's a lot of struggling photographers out there. And I think if they started to approach it a little differently by doing what I just suggested, I think they could see some changes. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, it's amazing that there's so many opportunities to get creative, to offer clients all kinds of interesting services. And as long as you love what you're offering and you're being creative about it, then you are likely to find success or likelier to find success, at least than if you just did what everyone else is doing. Yes, I agree 100%. Mitchell, I have one more question for you, and that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? I think... Um doing things like this is the start of it. I mean, I feel like I love toy photography, obviously. I love more what it taught me about the business, about creativity. And I think, um, and I hope this doesn't sound pretentious, but I would love to be in a position to um, use those experiences to inspire others and to educate others as to the, the path that I've taken, the many mistakes I've made, and then um, ultimately how I found my personal success, whether it's how I feel creatively or as as a business person, um, those are I think those are the things that where I see my career um, eventually kind of morphing into, changing into. As I get older, I feel like yes, I do shoot. Like right now, my primary income is through like commissions from clients, from the toy companies, from the entertainment studios. But I think. Um, a more deeper reason for me to want to, to want to be able to do this going forward is to share what I've what I've learned and what I've experienced so that hopefully others don't really have to go through the decades that I went through before learning what I did. That's very generous of you. And I don't think that sounds pretentious at all. It's the magic of photography is connecting with people, in my opinion. It's beautiful to take photographs, but then when you share them with others and you get feedback from them and you can help them in some way, as you said, to maybe um, provide them with shortcuts and make it easier for them to have successful businesses or photography experiences, then that's uh, even more amazing, I think, than taking photos that you're proud of. So, Mitchell, I want to thank you for being so open about your experiences. I'm personally very inspired by your story, and I'm sure that the listeners are as well. And I wish you the very best with your photography journey. Thanks so much, Taya. I mean, this was this was amazing. You know, it's like, I love talking to you and the questions you asked were really personally thought provoking, made me look inside a little, you know, and I think that's always a good thing. And to remind myself um, of what's important, I think is really important. So I appreciate your having me here and um, I hope everybody enjoyed the talk. I'm sure everyone enjoyed it. Thank you so much for answering the questions so beautifully. Thank you. I appreciate it. Great Big Photography World wouldn't be what it is without our incredible listeners. We're grateful for the time you take to listen to other photographers' stories and share your feedback with us. If you'd like to help us keep this podcast running smoothly, you can become a member on our website. In return for your help, we'll provide you with all kinds of exciting perks. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. 
I really enjoyed this interview. I had a lot of fun learning from Mitchell. I really like his optimism and positive attitude. And his story proves that no matter how old you are, no matter what you've been through, what your degree is, you can always start over and pursue something different. If you want to join this conversation and ask Mitchell some questions, make sure to click on the link in our description that leads to our community page. There you'll be able to join as a free member and participate in our conversations about every podcast episode. We love hearing from our listeners, so we highly encourage you to join us and to let us know your thoughts. See you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.